So most preachers on their kind of preaching journey start out by thinking that everything they do is art. Okay. <laughs> I remember as a student pastor, when I was, you know, just starting to write sermons and preach, I thought everything I did was the most amazing and cl most clever thing that anyone had ever come up with. We spent hours trying to come up with the perfect sermon title, uh, the cleverest one-liners, uh, most all of our points, they'll relate to each other in some really kitschy way. Uh, and over time, we preachers learn that people are almost always going to forget just about everything. Uh, our sermon title, the scripture references, the points of the sermon, uh, and even the main takeaway of the sermon. People are going to walk out of you know the service. They're going to walk away from their computer. They're going to walk out of a building. They're going to get in their car, and they're going to forget 90% of what you just said. But there is one thing that people almost always remember, and that is the stories. And I think that explains why one of Jesus' favorite ways to teach was through stories. Uh, Jesus would often take whatever truth he was trying to communicate and wrap it around these memorable or easily relatable stories that we call parables. And the word parable uh, comes from a Greek word that means to lay alongside of, like laying track. Uh, and that's what parables do. They, they take eternal truths and they lay them alongside stories of everyday life. And Jesus chose to communicate these great issues of life and spirituality and relationship and, and theology and eternity through everyday stories. That is Jesus' preferred method of teaching. And as we study his parables throughout this month, we need to understand a few things about parables. The first of all, parables are not allegories. In an allegory, every character or every element in the story is representative of something else. Everything is a parallel to something else. Everything represents something, has a deeper meaning. But in a parable, there's really only one truth that drives through it. One truth that Jesus is trying to communicate to us. There's one big idea to each parable that Jesus tells. The second thing we can understand about the parables is that parables have to be understood in the culture in which they are written. And quite frankly, some of Jesus' parables, they seem kind of strange to us at times. Uh, at times, they seem unfair because we're reading them with a 21st century Western mindset, and we don't get the, the culture and what the listener then would have understood. But to really, for us to understand Jesus' parables, we need to be able to smell the air and feel the dust of the Jewish villages that Jesus was teaching in. And that's what we're going to do as we examine these parables. We're going to look at the culture in which they were written, and we're going to try to hear them as a first century Jew would have heard these parables because it, it helps us to really understand the big idea that Jesus was trying to communicate to them at that point because the message is timeless. It's still appropriate for us today, but we have to make sure we get to that message. The next thing is that Parables have to be read in context. They, these are not isolated stories that Jesus told to entertain people. Uh, he was a gifted storyteller, 
but he, it wasn't for the entertainment of the listener that he told them. Instead, every parable that Jesus told had a context to it. It was in response uh, in order to address an important issue or to answer a question that somebody was asking him. So it's important that we understand the setting of these parables and why Jesus was telling this story in the first place. And finally, and this is the most important thing that you can understand about parables, because this is absolutely perfectly uh, relatable to you today. In order to truly understand the meaning of the parable, you have to have a deep personal connection to Jesus. Okay, some people think that the parables were told to help people understand the truth better. That Jesus told them so that people would really get these truths. Quite the opposite is true. Let's look at Matthew 13 where uh, Jesus kind of addresses this. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? And he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more knowledge will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. So here's what I want you to understand from this. Parables were meant to hide the truth unless the listener had a connection to Jesus. Parables were meant to hide, obscure the truth, unless the listener had a connection with Jesus. It was designed to draw the seeker closer, to draw them in to Jesus so they could learn, so they could understand, because they wouldn't get it. They would be confused. Uh, it would uncover the truth through a relationship with Jesus. But the casual observer, or even the hostile observer, of which Jesus had many in the crowds that followed him, that they were never going to understand. And Jesus often began the parable, he would often begin with some, a comparison. You know, the kingdom of God is like, and then he would go into uh, a story. So let's kick off today with a story from my life that will kind of lead us into the parable of Jesus that we're going to look at today. The last time that I was in Phoenix for work travel, I don't travel anymore for uh, my other job. That job that I was traveling for, that went away. Um, but the last time I was in Phoenix for my work travel, I got to visit my favorite Chicago restaurant uh, because they've opened locations in Phoenix. Uh, if you want to, if you feel that you know, you'd like to join me, uh, I pray on a regular basis for this restaurant to come to D the Dallas Metroplex. So if you'd like to join me, I wouldn't turn away the assistance. But uh, Lou Malnati's is the name of that restaurant. It's the greatest pizza on planet Earth. And if you've ever had Lou Malnati's, you know it's the truth. You may think I'm wrong, but that's because you've never had Lou's. Um, but I went there with one of the pastors in the group that I was leading uh, with my assistant at the time and with, and, and then I went. So the three of us went to this restaurant and I called ahead and I ordered two large deep dish sausage pizzas with butter crust. I was hungry and I hadn't had Lou Malnati's in a long, long time. I was also an idiot. Um, we barely finished one of these pizzas. 
uh, I limped across the finish line out of sheer determination just to finish the one pizza because I wasn't going to have more than one pizza left over. But we're left with this massive deep dish pizza uh, left over uh, that we hadn't even touched. And I was gonna tell the server, just you know, throw it away, take it back, whatever you wanna do with it. When an image entered my mind of a guy standing on the side of the road holding a cardboard sign. And, and I fully believe this was the Holy Spirit because you know how sometimes we blame visions or dreams on bad pizza the night before? Well, this was incredible pizza, so it couldn't have been that. Um, but the server put this pizza into three small boxes. So I had these three boxes of pizza and we headed to the airport uh, to return the rental car. And I'm scouting the whole time. I'm looking for one of these guys holding a sign so I can give them the pizza. And I, I tell you, on the drive from where we were to the Phoenix Airport, Sky Harbor Airport, not one person. They are everywhere in Phoenix because the climate's so warm. So there's, there's a, a significant homeless population there. And they're everywhere, you know, asking for help and assistance. Not one person. And I'm gonna, I was gonna drive around for a bit to try to look for somebody, but I had to get to the airport, had to return the car first, had to go through security. And I was about to turn into the rental car place to return the car and toss the pizzas in the trash there when I realized that I hadn't fueled up yet. You know, obviously you gotta do that unless you wanna pay like $40 a gallon at the rental car place. So I swung the car around and I went to the nearest gas station on GPS. And as I'm pumping the gas there, a guy walked out of the gas station behind me saying, excuse me, excuse me, sir. And I didn't think he was talking to me because uh, I don't know anybody. But he got closer and I realized he was talking to me. And then he asks me, I, I said, yeah. He says, do you put anything in your beard? And, and we talked for a few minutes about beard care. Uh, you know, the, the beard opens doors with other dudes. You just talk about your beard. And, and then he walked away on the other side of that conversation. I was about to leave when I saw the image in my head again. And so I ran after the guy and I said, have you had lunch yet today? He said, no, nah, we're probably going to skip lunch today. I had to put gas in the car instead. And I looked, and there in the car was his wife and three kids in the back seat. And I told him to hold on, and I ran and grabbed the pizzas from the car, and this dude was pumped. I talked with him for a few minutes, asked him if I could pray with him about anything. He needed work, so we prayed about that. I asked him if he had a church that he attended. He said they did, and I told him I was a pastor, and he said he'd, he'd love to come to my church sometime, and I told him it was in Dallas, and I think the commute was going to be a little much for him. Uh, so he left, and he basically said, thank you, our whole day is different now. It was just a really cool moment, and, and here's, the, here's the takeaway from this. There are moments in life when the Holy Spirit makes sure that you do not just see something, but you notice it. You don't just see something, but you notice it. Because we see need all the time. We see need all the time as we go about life. But we don't necessarily notice it. There's a difference between seeing a need and noticing the need. Because sometimes you can see and just keep going. But when you notice, you stop and hopefully you do something. And that brings us to the parable where that we're going to look at today because it addresses this exact concept. In Luke 10, it begins this way. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? 
How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The guy started off so well, didn't he? I mean, he's there. He's, Jesus, I, 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 would you please tell me what I have to do? And then he gave the spot-on perfect answer, right? And Jesus even said, perfect, right, you're good. Anytime someone is having an interaction with Jesus and the sentence begins with, the man wanted to justify his actions, you can be pretty sure it's not going to end well for this person, okay? That you're not going in a good direction at that point. So Jesus answers the man by telling one of the most famous parables in the gospels, and this is what I want us to look at today. Jesus replied, with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handled the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now, as you dig into the culture and into the time of Jesus, you realize that here we have a story that would have caused the average listener in Jesus' day to scratch his head in confusion. They would have been completely just confused uh, by the direction of this, by the, the shocking nature of this story. Uh, no one would understand a Samaritan stopping to help a Jew. The Samaritans were hated and despised by Jews, and the feeling was mutual. They did not like each other. There was bad blood there. It went back a long, long time uh, with regard to a, a lot of religious background and customs and, and what they were allowed to do and who was allowed to worship where and what this looked like. And so the Samaritans and the Jews did not like each other one stinking bit. And so this story would have been a, a shock and a, just a complete shock value. This would have been a clickbait headline if the internet existed in Jesus' day. Samaritan stops to help a Jew on the side of the road. Um, and the more devout listener would have been ticked off in hearing this that a Samaritan had been the hero of the story. It would have completely offended the religious in the crowd. And there was a man that was beaten and robbed and left to die on the side of the road. Two very religious men, a Pharisee and a Levite, very busy. They were busy doing their religious duty. They were busy probably on their way to church or to fulfill some sort of religious function. And by virtue of their Jewishness, they are men who should have stopped to help the man that was beaten. But 
And before we get there, there's other things that would have prevented them from stopping. They were busy. They didn't want to be bothered. So they kept going. They, this man, they didn't know if he was beat up or dead and they couldn't go near a dead body, let alone touch a dead body or they would have become ceremonially unclean and that would have set them back. They couldn't go to a house of worship. They had to go through the rites of cleansing. They had to go through all this stuff before they could once again enter the temple. They didn't want to be bothered, so they kept on going. There's all sorts of cultural, religious prohibitions that held them back, and even practical in a time sense, from going to help this man, to check on him, to see if he was okay and see if they could help. But then there was another man, this Samaritan, who was the man that we know that should not have stopped based on cultural uh, pre predispositions by virtue of the fact that he was a Samaritan, lots of bad blood, and he crossed the road and he went and helped this man. And of course, I'm thinking, as I read the story, right, as most of us would, well, I'm the good Samaritan, right? I mean, we all like to think of ourselves in this way. I mean, I'm a pastor, right? I'm a professional Christian. Uh, I planted a church to help people. I work for other organizations to help churches grow stronger, to help plant other churches that are going to reach people far from God. I'm helping churches who will see people overcome the adversity of their past and step into the future God has given them. Come on. But then I begin to think of how many times I've walked past people just like this. How many times have I walked past in my busyness, walked past in my obliviousness, walked past in my selfishness and not reached out to help someone who is in need, not reached out to offer assistance, not reached out to pray, not reached out to give generously, not reached out uh, to, to do what I could. How many times do I drive past people in need or walk past them? Too busy heading to my next meeting, so, so busy going to my next event, so busy writing my next sermon and too busy to stop. And I'd be, I began to realize that in all of my busyness and speaking and activity, that there's so many people spiritually lying on the side of the road. Not physically beaten up, but spiritually they're beaten up. Emotionally they're beaten up. And they're lying on the side of the road desperately needing someone to stop and offer to help them. And we just walk on by, not because, you know, we, you know, or just because simply maybe we think we're too busy or we don't know enough or we don't know what they're going through. And church, I want you to understand something. When I began to have this realization, it's not okay. We can't live that way. We can't live indifferent to the needs of people around us. We can't live uh, oblivious to what is going on in other people's lives. You say, well, I didn't know that they were hurting. Well, if they're in your life, if, they're, if there's somebody you have a relationship with, we need to care enough to find out if somebody's going through. We need to put ourselves in a position to be someone that people will turn to when they're struggling. It's not okay for me. It's not okay for you. And here's, here's the bottom line. God has called us to love our neighbors. And there's really, there, there is no expiration date on that command. We're called to love people around us all the time. Now we all have different worlds, different arenas of life that we run in, different schools, different careers, different neighborhoods, different groups of people we interact with on a regular basis. And I don't know what yours looks like or all of ours are gonna be slightly different. I do know that somewhere in your world there are people that are lying in the trenches of life. Somewhere in your world there are people who are hurting and we are walking right past them because we're busy. Because sometimes, if we're honest, 
we really don't care. We're preoccupied. We don't really want to get involved. Involvement takes time. Involvement costs us something. And I honestly think a reason why so many churches aren't growing uh, or many churches are not as healthy as they could be is because we as Christians just don't want to get involved. We're comfortable. We're content. In some cases, we're way too self-important. And we need to listen to the words of Jesus in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And when you read about the Samaritan here, he had compassion in verse 33. It says he had compassion on this man. But having compassion is one thing. It's huge. I mean, compassion is where it begins. But then the Bible says in verse 34 that he crossed, he went to him. Because I think that's another thing is we feel compassion or we feel bad, but that's not enough just to feel bad for somebody's circumstances. We all need to come to the realization that true compassion is not just emotion, is it? True compassion is not just feeling bad for someone. So many times we can watch a video, we can read something, we can hear somebody's story, we get emotional, we get moved, our emotions get stirred. But an emotional response is not the same as true compassion. Because true compassion compels us to cross the street and go and help. You know, compassion comes, the, the, the root of compassion means to suffer along with. To suffer along with someone. Well, you don't suffer along with someone from a distance. You have to get close. You have to be with them. You have to go through the fire with them to suffer with someone. That's compassion. We struggle sometimes to even see needs though, don't we? Maybe we were wrapped up in our own needs. Maybe we're wrapped up in our own struggles, in our own circumstances, in our own uh, task list. And, and, and we fail to even notice what is happening right in front of our noses. Uh, it's the homeless that we see as we drive to work. It's the next door neighbor whose marriage is falling apart. It's the kid across the street who gets bullied at school. It's the 25,000 children in the foster care system in Texas alone uh, who need a family where they can uh, learn that somebody loves them. Every one of these is an opportunity to cross the street, to do something, to pray and engage people, not just to see it, not even just to pray, but to do something. The Bible tells us he went to him, but he didn't stop there either. He had compassion. He went to him, and then he did not just go to him. The Bible says he bandaged up his wounds. He gave him medical supplies. He put him on his donkey. He gave him transportation, took him to an inn. He gave him shelter, gave him silver to the innkeeper and said, if you need more money. And this is what we have to know. Involvement with broken people will always cost us. Involvement with broken people is always going to cost us. It will always cost our time, our talent, and it costs our treasure. And we've got to be willing to make the sacrifice to meet the needs of people around us. John 15, 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I mean, that is, that is a core principle of Jesus' life, his ministry, and his teaching. Is that selfless, giving, loving nature towards people around us towards our friends and even our enemies. And I, I just want you to know, I, I'm not preaching this to you in the capacity of somebody who really has got this all figured out and worked out. 
I am a very selfish person by nature. I, I definitely look at my needs <coughs> before the needs of people around me. It's a, it's a flaw in who I am as a person. I pray about it all the time. I thank God that God has placed Melissa in my life as my wife because she is really good at reminding me when I'm being selfish. Thank you, babe. And, uh, and she does a good job of that, of just pointing out, hey, you know when you did this? Here's what other people see when you do that. And I was oblivious. I didn't even have any clue that what I did could be interpreted that way. And then all of a sudden, I viewed it through the lens of the people around me. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm not a good person. And I think if we're honest, we all have moments like that, don't we? Where if we take a step back and we look at our actions, we look at our indifference, we look at our selfishness through the lens of people around us, it hopefully would cause us to, to think a little more strongly about the decisions that we make or don't make the people that we interact with or don't interact with. Because as Jesus just said in John 15, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. No matter who you are, no matter what your past looks like, no matter what you have now or you don't have now, every one of us has something in common. God has a plan, God has a purpose, and God has a destiny for you. And that's something every one of us has in common. If you woke up this morning and there was not a white chalk outline around your body, God still has a purpose for your life. He has something he wants to use you to accomplish. He has people he wants to impact through your life and through your story. John 15, 16 and 17, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. That's what it all comes down to. God wants to empower you to produce fruit so you can more effectively love the people around you. This is not a career. It's not even a lifestyle. This is discipleship. This is what it means to follow Jesus. It's authentically following Jesus Christ and being obedient to him. We have to answer the question, will you cross the street? Will you not just see the people around you, but notice the need. And will you not just notice the need, but will you alter your course? Will you change the trajectory of your life to meet the needs of people around you? Will you be willing to make the sacrifice of your time, your abilities, and your resources? And will you be moved with compassion, true compassion, to do something, to make a difference, to change someone else's story? So then you begin to think, but Lord, that's really risky as, as if somehow life isn't risky anyway. It's 2021, people. We're on the other side of 2020. It's risky everywhere we go, every time we wake up. Sometimes I think we get into this safety myth as Christians, right? We kind of live under the, a delusion thinking, I just need everything to be safe and, and boring and comfortable and predictable and normal. Um, and that's the best possible life as if somehow the goal of life is to arrive at death safely. Uh, safety is just a myth. Risk is defined as the possibility of harm, loss, or danger. That's what risk is. Well, hello, welcome to breathing. We are not exempt from that. In fact, if you read the New Testament, you read Jesus' teaching, you read the stories of the early church, you read Paul's epistles, you read Revelation about what's going to come, you read all of this, you understand 
It's all one big risk factor. It's all danger at every turn. That's the life of a follower of Christ. And every one of us needs to understand that you are not, you and I are not products of time. We are products of eternity. God has positioned us in time and he's given us gifts and bandwidth for the purpose of serving our generation. But we are not going to be here forever. The Bible says we are pilgrims on a journey. We are just passing through this life on our way back to eternity. So when Christians start to freak out through fear and pull back because we listen to the enemy who's telling us don't take a risk, don't step out and do this, don't get out of the boat, don't get engaged with the lost and broken world, what if, what if, what if, what if. And then the Lord says in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And we need to use that power and love and self-discipline to drive us into the middle of someone else's chaos. Because fear cripples us, fear immobilizes us, and God wants to take his church to places we have not yet even thought of by powers we didn't even know existed. We can't live safe, church. God has not called us to live safe. God has not called us to live quiet lives. He had called us to live aggressively. He has called us to go into the dark places. He's called us to be light shining in that darkness. He's called us to love our enemies. He's called us to live with risk. And if we're living safe, I want you to understand it is almost impossible to live safe and to be living in God's will. And as a church, we cannot be the church that God has called us to be if we are living safe, if we are living inside the walls, if we are living in our comfort zone. We cannot live tame and we cannot live predictable. We have to go into darkness and to go into darkness we, means we have to understand that the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Do we really believe that? We read that. And it's a powerful statement, but do we believe that? Because if we believed that, we'd be willing to go anywhere and do anything and take whatever risk because the Holy Spirit who is empowering us is greater than anything that this world could throw at us. And we are going to make a difference in our generation. Followers of Jesus, of anyone, should understand that there is nothing ultimately to be fearful of. We're not here forever. We're passing through. Life is risky. You can't avoid risk. And in the words of George Bernard Shaw, a famous author, it's okay because ultimately death is the ultimate statistic. One out of one will die. <laughs> and so I bet you are all glad you came to church today to hear that encouragement. Uh, one out of one will die. It's going to happen to all of us. You can either have a myth of trying to just live a nice, safe, predictable life or saying, you know what? We're going to make a difference. We're going to fulfill the purpose for which God has put us on the earth. We have to be prepared to take risks. And in the time that I have available to me, in the time that we have as a church here at Trilogy, we are going to do everything we can to make every difference we can, to change every life that we can in this world and community in which God has placed us. We have to be prepared to step out of the boat, willing to be inconvenienced. We have to be willing to cross the street and get messy by engaging in people's messiness. That's what it's going to take. One of the greatest missionaries who ever lived, David Livingston, when he started modern mission movements in Africa, uh, the mission society that sent him to Africa wrote him a letter. 
And they said, Dr. Livingston, he had been there for a couple of years now. Is there a path well paved to where you are? If there is, we have men that we want to send to help you. And Dr. Livingston wrote back and he said, if you have men who will only come if a path has been paved, I don't want them. I want men who will only come if there is no path at all. If you have men who will only come if a path has been paved, I don't want them. I want men who will only come if there is no path at all. And I believe in the season that we are living in, God wants to take us to places where paths have not yet been developed. Things that churches have not done before. Where we need to go and we need to engage risk, we need to embrace risk, we need to understand what the book of James says in James 4.14, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. And as a church, we need to be willing to try things that have never been tried before. I believe this season that we're in right now until God provides us with a permanent location where we can begin gathering again on Sunday mornings, we have unique opportunities in this day, in this season of our church's life to do things that maybe we've never done before. And I think it's time we start trying to take some risks and reach people. And it's going to take every one of us because you have people you can reach that I can't. I have people I can reach that you can't. And that's why God has brought us together as the church to make a difference in the lives of people who are hurting and broken. Let's stop trying to make everything comfortable as if we're going to be here forever because we're not. We have a job to do and we've been waiting for something for too long. We have opportunity all around us. There's opportunity everywhere. We have lost people on every side. We have a mission and God has equipped you for that mission. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, God planned these things for you to do now long ago. These are the things right now that you see in front of you, these opportunities, these paths, these, these risks are the things that God created you to tackle. These things don't earn salvation for us. We're not saved by the good things God wants us to do. We're saved by grace. Paul tells us that just two verses earlier than that. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. But here's what I want you to understand. We have been saved by grace, but for good works. We're saved by grace in order to do all these things that God has for us. There has been a plan, and before you ever got to earth, God had a purpose and a destiny for your life. Not so that we could somehow reach some nice little safe haven here on earth, but so we could take risks and make a difference in our generation. And one of my challenges came, you know, several years back when God asked me, would you cross the street, Jeff? At 42 years old, with five kids at the time, a good-sized church, would you cross the street? Would you cross the street and go to the place I will show you and start something new? Will you write new stories and bring light into darkness? The Bible says in Matthew 5, you don't have light and hide it under a basket. There's only one purpose for light, and that's to dispel darkness. And I look at the families that God has, has brought to us here. I look at all the different people that, that are part of this, this trilogy story. I look at the lives that have been transformed. I look at the thousands yet to be reached, and I think, imagine if I didn't cross the street. Imagine if we just stayed where we were and said, this is nice and comfortable where we are now. And guys, God never called us to be comfortable. He called us to obey. 
How many people do we all still just walk past? How many things does God want us to do? But we think we're too busy, we can't get involved, we don't have enough knowledge, we're too scared, we're not willing to take a risk. And I believe God is speaking to all of us as a church to get out of our comfort zones and to start to take some risks. To connect here at Trilogy, to serve the vision God has given us to make a difference here in the 380 corridor, to see families transformed, to see broken marriages healed, to see the fatherless restored and placed in families, to see people who are lost discover real relationship with God, to get out of just looking for comfort here and help to spell the darkness that surrounds us here on the earth. A few Christmases ago, uh, our son Jaden was given a pretty high-powered flashlight as one of his presents. And as he took it out of the box and immediately switched it on, you could see he was a little kind of disappointed. He moved it around, tried to see where the beam was going, but it's, it's nine o'clock in the morning. It's, the sun was a little more powerful than this new flashlight that he'd been given. And, and, and I think all of a sudden he realized that. And then Jaden says this to me, he turns to me, he says, Daddy, can we go find some darkness? A six-year-old has a revelation. There's only one purpose for light. It's to go into the places of this world where there's pain and hurt and lostness and find the darkness and illuminate that darkness. He spoke to me in a parable that day. <laughs> what we have is a world that is living in darkness and you and I need to go into those places and bring the justice, the mercy, the grace, the love of Jesus to a lost and a broken world. We don't need to fear it. The greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He really, really is. Last, last story, there was a missionary, A.W. Milne, in the 19th century, and he went to a tribe of headhunters in the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. And no one had ever come back from this tribe. Um, but he didn't die. I mean, he was not killed by them. He, he eventually died uh, after 35 years of ministry there. And uh, they buried him. And this is the epitaph that they wrote on his tombstone. Man, I, I can only hope that people think something close to this for my life when it's over. As they buried him, they wrote this. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Can you imagine a better statement to be made about your life? And my prayer is that every one of us can have this said about us at our memorial service someday. My prayer for all of us as the, as the church is in our normal, seemingly insignificant, boring, everyday life that we see it as a faith adventure where we'll step into places of darkness. We'll meet people at their point of need. We'll be willing to, to get messy, messy by engaging people in their messiness. People's lives that are a mess, that are broken, that need life and hope and answers. And when we show up, when we cross the street, it might be dark. But by the time we have left, every day there is light wherever we've been because it is time for the church to shine. And I just ask you, church, can we go find some darkness? Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have placed within each of us a light. God, we, because you are the light of the world and you dwell within us, we have the light of the world to share. And God, forgive us for the times where we have failed to see the need. Forgive us for the times that we've seen it and failed to have compassion on the need. And forgive us for the times where we've simply had compassion and it hasn't moved us to action. 
God, I pray that we would be a church who takes action. We would be a church who as individuals, not in a program of the church, not in a ministry of the church, although we will have those and we do those, but God, that we as the church are going out into the darkness and we are making a difference where only we can. God, I pray that you would lead us to those opportunities. God, open our eyes to what is happening around us. Open our eyes to the needs of people. And God, would you lead us to darkness so we can be the light that you've called us to be. God, we thank you for the opportunities you bring us. God, I pray that we would enter into a new season as a church family. God, that we would enter into a new season where we're not just having opportunities, but God, we are taking advantage of opportunities and we are seeing new stories written every day. God, I pray that, that this would be just this avalanche of, of opportunities that we take advantage of, that we are meeting needs all over the place, that we're going to begin sharing stories of how you've used us, stories of how we were able to pray with people, of how we were able to bless people, of how we were able to give to people. God, the miracles that we see in people's lives, that God, our, uh, our message boards, our, our Facebook page, uh, our app, all this is going to be blown up with just stories of how you're using people and how you're using us. Not so we can boast about ourselves, but we can brag about the God who is in us, who is greater than anything that is in this world. God, we thank you about what you're going to do as we make ourselves available. And we do that right now. God, help us to find some darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.